So welcome, moms. We're so grateful for you. I do want to say that um, there are, as you know, we would normally take an offering at this time, but I just want to say uh, we've moved to this uh, offering in the back, but there are ways to give, and we'd love for you to be a part of that and to help in that. I think we may have lost some power. Is that correct? We got it up there? Okay. Ways to give. And, and the reason I want to share this with you is ministries like this that we're talking about, as well as this last week, we had an incredibly wonderful prayer ministry. I, we're going to come back with a report on that. There were so many good things that happened um, through our, our day of prayer with 24-7, and, and it started actually Monday, where we helped with other churches lead the city movement of that day of prayer. And then also went to Wednesday where we did that. And then Thursday had a drive through prayer. All these things are the kind of things that are important with regard to the giving of our, um, and, and being able to fund the things that God has called us to do together. And so as we come to the end of this year for our cycle here in June 30, our fiscal year end, I'm going to just ask you, would you, we'll be giving you more information on this. It's one of those family kind of details, but we just want you to pray about what God might be calling you to give so that we can end this year well. I also want to mention that we have a worship night coming up, and um, it's, you might go, is it like this? It, it isn't. It is a, a much more interactive worship time, much more... Um, I would say relaxed and comfortable. So we would love for you to be a part of that on May 20th at uh, 6.30. So please mark that in your calendar. I want you to watch this clip, would you? My mom hates it when I... Don't clean my room. Drive her insane. Um, when we fight and just make her mad. Mom doesn't like... When I take too long to do what she asks me to do. Mommy doesn't like spiders. Losing her phone, roller coasters, and yelling. <laughs> um, us eating four ice creams in one day. Eating food without asking. Losing her phone. And if the bed's broke. Those are uh, some of our own kids, and they reveal a little bit of what moms are concerned about in our congregation, like losing their phone. Um, but I have to tell you, I was struggling with this passage of Scripture as I put this together, and kind of things had shifted, and it landed that we'd be looking at Proverbs 16, verses, uh, chapter 6, verse 16 through 19, which begins by, these are six things, no, seven things that God hates. And I'm going, oh, Mother's Day message. Until... I realize that moms hate some of the things God hates because of what they do to you and what they do to relationships of those that they want you to have a good and close and healthy relationship with and what they do to the family and to the world at large. And so moms, many of you share the very same kind of feelings that God does towards some of those things that are very destructive. And so what I want you to know as you look at this, you know, it says here that God hates pride, lying, uh, hitting and hurting. I'm putting them in kind of those terms. Um, quick to do wrong, like the ones that, that I'm too slow to do what's right. So just the opposite of that. Um, and strife in the family. And why does he hate those things? Why do moms hate those things? Because he doesn't want you to grow up to be a sociopathic, narcissistic, hypocritical liar. Okay? I'm going to ask you to stand, would you? We're going to read the Word of God. 
There are six things the Lord hates. No, seven he de- things he detests. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies, and a person who, dis- who sows discord in a family. Father, we just open our hearts right now and ask that you would teach us. And I pray, God, that as we look at this, you would help us to see areas where our hearts can be more aligned with you, where we can begin to walk more in that identity of, of what your love is for us and your, um, your ability to save us from the inside out so that we can become like Jesus. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Anybody seated? We've been talking a lot about an interactive relationship to God, and that's how I've kind of approached this whole series on Proverbs, because an interactive relationship is one that allows you to get to know the other person. In fact, when you think about it, the things you know best are the things that you, on a regular, routinely basis, interact with, right? So if you're interacting, just by the very fact we showed that video, you got to know what some moms didn't like. You wouldn't know that if you hadn't interacted in that way. But if you continue to interact with that child and with that mother and with that family system, you would probably get to know that mom a lot better. That's the simple truth about God. God is not looking for you to do certain things so he can check it off. He wants you to be wise according to Proverbs. And he gives you some of these. Some people love Proverbs because it's kind of the simple things, principles to do. He wants you to, from your heart, begin to live these things out so that you can have a, a peaceful, not just peaceful, but a life that is rich with his presence and his goodness and his love that grows closer if you're married in relationship to another Goes closer if you're single and, and, and you have friends and how to have even better friendships. It goes closer with regard to a child to a parent and allows for you to begin to take control a little bit about who you are because we live so often, don't we, wanting to um, change the other person. But God is saying, here, if you begin to interact with me, my interactions will change your heart. And those interactions will actually begin to change the environment and even the relationships that you're in. So, as you look at this passage of scripture, I just wanted to to share with you in a preliminary sense a few things that are important to understand as we look at it as a whole. And the very first thing is that as we look and interact with God and through this scripture, just in this scripture alone, we'll find some important truths about God. And the first thing is that we learn that God has feelings. You may not have understood that before, but the scripture shows that God displays a range of emotions such as anger and disappointment. You can actually grieve the Holy Spirit. You see at one point Jesus was full um, of joy through the Holy Spirit, it says. There's these different emotions that God has. Even throughout the um, Old Testament, you see that there's hatred and there's frustration and, and different things like that. There's love, there's delight that are emotions of God. But God does experience emotions, and we experience similar emotions because we're made in his image. It says in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, then God said, let us make man in mankind, is what that means. They're not just men, mankind in our image, according to our likeness, which means we will have emotions like God's, but there's a important difference. It's the way we handle our emotions. We are often led by our emotions. So when we get angry, we will 
use violent words or violent actions in response to something that's occurring. Or if we get sad or depressed, we will take those emotions and often turn to something that might medicate us. The thrill of going shopping and buying a purchase. The um, food that makes you feel better because all that anxiousness is in your in your stomach. And so hum, somehow that is a way to do that. Or it could be through alcohol. It could be through drugs. It could be that momentary lift through porno- pornography. That's how we can use our emotions. But God didn't use his emotions that way. The difference between God and us is our emotions or feelings can lead to sin. Well, God's emotions, his feelings are righteous and they always come from a place of love. They are always expressed in a way to bring about good. It may need to bring something to an end if there is an unwillingness to submit or, 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 or obey, which when we talk about the end of time, when there is a time when it comes to an end, God says he'll bring all sin to an end. There will be judgment, and those who choose to still stay in those emotions and apart from God will live apart from God forever. But those who begin to learn, think about it this way, begin to learn to use your emotions and begin to allow your emotions to guide you in a way that that God is guided so that it comes from a place of love. And you begin to learn how to do that as he begins to work in your heart through a humble relationship. The second thing, I want you to know here, when it says God hates, how many parents tell your kids not to say hate? Yeah, you don't, well, a few of you. Um, Maybe more of you should think of it. Anyway, no. God hates. But I want you to recognize that his hate is important. It's here. He detests sin which actually hurts and causes disconnection and causes wounds in others and destroys. He doesn't hate you. He doesn't hate you. He hates the desires and thoughts and actions that hurt and harm. I mean, just think about the things that we really rightfully should hate. How many were really angry about the news of a 14-year-old molesting a 10-year-old girl and then strangling her. We detest that. How many get really angry at the damage that sex trafficking does to a 15-year-old girl? Or boy. How many hate what's happening in Ukraine to little children? So it's really justified to hate. And so God hates these things. In fact, they're an abomination. It's probably the strongest word you could give towards it. Because they are so antithetical to who God really is. Because he hates it anytime. He hates it anytime. Someone exploits, belittles, hurts, and wounds you. He hates what it does to you, his child. And then it goes on and it says, there are six, no, make that seven things that God hates with a passion. <laughs> now you kind of go, why is he here six and seven? Is he like talking to Solomon and, you know, and I don't believe in a word for word inspiration, but this, this sense he's inspiring these words that maybe if it's Solomon who's author of this, there's thoughts of who different ones could be. But let's say it's Solomon and he's, he's inspired to write these things and in his mind he's going, there's six things God hates. Oh, God goes, no, seven. It's not what's going on here. This is a Hebraic way because they love to use numbers of pointing out that six is kind of a number often for man in man's fullness. 
And seven is the sense of God's perfection, completeness, and fullness. And so there's this real sense that when he's saying this, he's going, these six things, no, seven. And the seventh one's interesting because the first one's pride and the last one is destruction of community. And he really wants to make it clear that when you look at the body of sin, we'll look at all this, the thing that begins to occur is that the person is used and given over by their evil desires and they're hurting and destroying not just themselves and not just someone else, but the community. And with all that God is, the Trinity, the community, the Trinity, he stands against all that occurs in wickedness in in these ways where our self is given to this. Now, there's one last thing, and we'll get to that, and and then we'll run through these um, different... uh, Parts and that and, and that is the, the last thing I want you to note is that um, that God uh, the things He hates are tied to the body parts. Isn't that interesting? He uses eyes and tongues and hands and heart and feet, and then the last two then are related to the person and really the community. There is a sense that when you begin to, to understand one of these slowing through your eyes or flowing through your tongue, or flowing through your your hands, or your heart, or your feet, impacting community, there should be this sign that comes up that says, danger. I saw this sign the other day, I thought this expresses it well. Do not touch. Not only will those kill you, it will hurt the whole time you're dying. <laughs> I can't convey better to you how God wants you to understand that these parts of your body, and these body parts are just kind of a way to help you envision a life that says, God, don't care about you. I'm going to run my life the way I want to run it. And some of you are living that way all your life and have all your life. And it might be right now the Holy Spirit saying, it's, it's not going to end well. It'll hurt. In fact, The whole time you are dying. And that, there are some of us, because we all know it, I do it. Um, Well, I was going to give an illustration about us, Grace, but I won't right now. (laughs) Because it's about me and it looks bad again. And so I just keep giving you the bad things about me, so maybe you don't need any more. But anyway, we all... Whether we consciously at times choose it or we reactively are living out of the wounds in our own sin, take our lives into our own hands and do what we want to do and we play little gods. And so I want to encourage us to recognize that if you don't want to do that and you really want God to change things, he will. He'll change you from the inside out. He'll change your heart. Self-help books, other kind of things, getting information, understanding the way the body works. All those things are really good and really important. But the power for change comes not from you trying to change someone else. Never works. It comes from saying, I want to change this about me. So now let's look at this, okay? Here's the first thing God says. He hates pride. And it says, haughty eyes. This idea um, that it's centered in our eyes. It's what's in our mind is seen with our eyes. A proud glance, a sense of superiority when you are, when you may look at someone and see yourself as better. Don't even, so many times you don't even know aware of it. 
You see that person and you think your job's better than their job. Or you think your neighborhood's better than their neighborhood. Or you drive into the parking lot today and you see your car better than their car. I don't care how it comes out, but it's this idea that somehow it's a tendency to look others at others and, and to put them down in advance. What's happening is your eyes are with pride looking out because you need to bolster something inside of you. And that comes from a lack. It comes from the lack that you are so deeply loved by God. He doesn't care about what your title is. He doesn't care what kind of car you're driving. He doesn't care about the things out here. Although he loves to give you good things and he's more than willing to have you experience those things. But what he really cares about is the interior part of your heart where you know he deeply loves you and you don't need to elevate yourself by putting others down. Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, A a haughty look. A proud heart are sin. And be really careful. Ever ever meet people, maybe yourself, who think you're just a notch above? You know, the conservative who, who just, and it's real, it's right now to feel more moral than everybody else. Or the liberal who, who just thinks, you know, I'm just more open-minded than the rest. I'm not saying you don't learn and don't take positions and things. I'm talking about the way that we see through our eyes and what God says is going on in our heart. Because every one of us deals with pride. Someone once said that when God walks, when, when, when pride walks in, God walks out. Lewis Smeads in a book called Love Within Limits writes, pride is an arrogant refusal to let God be God. And since we live in this narcissistic society that's consumed with our own self-centeredness and our own self-importance, ripe on the news and social media, etc. It, it's all about me. It's all what I want. I could. I just want to be an influencer or whatever. And pride distorts everything you see. You can't admit when you're wrong. You're in your relationship right now. Let's think of someone you're really close to. And maybe you are wrong. And you even know it. You know how hard it is to admit it, right? You blame everyone else. You have to be better. You do things just to be seen, and all that distorts your vision. Just listen to people talk. I mean, I listen sometimes to what I'm saying afterwards when I'm journaling. I go, I can't believe I said that. I was so proud. It impacts what you hear, how you listen. You listen, and you kind of right away pride comes up because there's something here, and you've got to defend yourself so you don't ever get... Here with understanding, there's no curiosity of what's going inside that person that I can empathize with and begin to understand, even though we may be two different people with different views. C.S. Lewis wrote this, pride is a spiritual cancer. It eats up the very possibility of love or contentment or even common sense. God hates lies. I mean, mom does too, right? I think my parents had it right. They once said um, when I was a little kid that, you know, corrective discipline, which really was punishment. But anyway, will always be worse if you don't fess up and tell me exactly what you did. If I catch your line about this, it's going to be a lot worse than what you just did. Anybody get that? Why? 
Because lying is a form of living where you manipulate reality and you know what really it is, but it's all about making sure that others don't see you that way. It's all about making sure you don't get the consequences that are supposed to happen. So you fudge on your reports at work and you you make sure that as you give things to others where you're accountable, that you just make sure it's a little nicer than it is. We, We do that and we lie and God hates the lying tongue. It's deception of speech. Typically most people have an entire list of things that they consider to be not so bad when it comes to lying. And then they have a whole group of things they think are horrible. But you know what? Before God, a white lie or a little lie is the same. I was reading this last week that a store manager heard an associate team member. They used to be called employees. But the associate team member tell a customer, no ma'am. We haven't had any for a while. He's talking to her. And, and it, it really doesn't look like we're going to get any very soon. And the manager was horrified, came running down the aisle and kind of interrupted that conversation with the customer and said, of course, ma'am, of course, we'll have some soon. We've placed an order last week. And as the customer kind of smiled and laughed a little bit and moved down the aisle, the manager kind of drew real close to the guy and he said, never. And he was really um really uh, stressing this and actually almost um, kind of snarled at the guy. Never, never, never say we're not, we're out of anything. Say we've just got it on order and it's coming. Now what was the thing that this person wanted? Well, we were talking about rain. He didn't even have any idea what he was looking for. They were just talking about, yeah, it hasn't happened for a while, and, and yeah, we haven't had any rain. And the guy, here's... I didn't tell that well, did I? There's ripples of laughter as people are starting to get it. Either that or you're just not real smart today. Anyway, here's, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to share with you a video clip from a friend of mine, John Orberg, who shares a little bit about lying. And what you need to understand is that we actually, one of the things we do in lying is we not only um, recruit our body to do it, but we recruit others into it. And God hates it because it, pr- it produces fake news, false reality. I'll let you play that little clip. The problem of my image, how do other people perceive me? And I don't want them to look at me as though I were a gossip. So now I want to try to convince them that I don't want to say something negative about another person. I kind of want to make myself think that, but I really do want to say something negative about another person. So now I have to recruit my body to help me with this. See, when I say... I don't want to say something negative about somebody. I can't say it like, I don't want to say something negative about someone because nobody would believe that. So I have to adopt a concerned look on my face and a kind of strained, sorrowful tone to my voice. In other words, I have to train my body to help me to deceive other people so that I can say something negative about someone without them thinking that I really want to do this. But I have to train my body to do this without even being terribly aware that I'm doing that or else I would think of myself as a hypocrite. I would be aware that I am a hypocrite and I I don't want to think of myself as a hypocrite. So I have to figure out a way to forget as quickly as possible that I'm getting my body to do this so that it becomes habitual. And my body is simply doing this after a while as a reflexive thing. And I'm using my body to conceal the truth about myself from other people, and I cannot even understand or know what the truth is about myself. 
I'm at a dinner with a group of people, and we are all Christians. We're all involved in church ministry of one sort or another, and there's one person who hasn't said very much, and so I ask that person a question so that that could draw them out a little bit. And then the next thought that comes to me is, what a kind person I am, and how good it is that I do something humble like this, and I wonder if other people have noticed that and why other people don't do that more. And there, there is this division inside me. I want to be generous, and I want to be humble, and I want people to think really well of me, and I want to be superior, and I'm arrogant. He's got problems. Um <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm his friend. Anyway, I spent some time on pride and lying, primarily because those things in our heart lead to these other things. And in the next one is it? Um, God hates murder. This is like moms. You don't like it when your kids hit hurt. How many are just like horrified when you hear news that your kid came home from daycare and they bit someone else? Right? You don't want them growing up biting people. You don't want them growing up. Let me put it this way. Jesus said that, you know, you, you know, the law says don't murder, but I tell you, if you have anger in your heart that is towards someone, your words, the way you act towards them can be like wounds that kill. God hates malice. A heart that plots evil. In the dictionary, malice is the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering. The legal definition includes this, evil intent. Ever fall asleep at night thinking of ways you could make that person hurt and suffer? That's what God doesn't want you to do. God wants to give a heart that can be free from that and attached to him. In fact, I was going to say when... I love what you had to say about El Shaddai and the breast. The idea there is, um, and you think of the rebirth and all that process. If you look at Old Testament scripture, what God is seeking to do is have well-attached people. There's a whole thing on attachment theory these days. So this maternal image is so important. It's about, are you well-attached to God? And he, he, he doesn't want you living out ways to get back. He wants you to trust the fact that he will take care of this. And your job is to love and bless, which is hard work because it means your character has to change. And instead of falling asleep, being eaten up by what you can do to get back, you begin to start maybe just reading scripture, or doing whatever needs to be done in order for God to settle your heart. God hates an eagerness to do wrong, feet that race to do wrong. Or like, I love what the young man said about, my mom doesn't like it when I don't obey quickly or something like that. I'm slow to do it. And again, it's easy to discard that, but how eager, think of this, are you to gossip or to text messages while you drive or cheat to get ahead or make promises that you don't intend to follow through with? And the last two, six, God hates false witness. A false witness who pours out lies. This is not just in a court. This is the kind of thing that bears false witness and the purpose is the seventh because that's why he ties this together because it leads to divisiveness. It splits the family apart. So this body, just think of it this way and I want you to think for a moment, where do you tend to have some difficulty? Haughty eyes, lying tongues, 
Hands that want to hurt. Feet that rush into evil. Hearts that are filled with malice and ways to get back. Where do you find that in your own system? Because what happens is when it resides in any of those parts, it begins to bleed into others, and it ends up bearing false witness and creating division, and it ruins things. So I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to close this message. I want you to be thinking about that. I want you to recognize that there are places within your being, your body, like you have to recruit your body to live apart from God. Think about that. God doesn't want you to live apart from him. It says in the King James Version, it says in Genesis that God had a flood come to destroy the community because he was so given over to the wickedness of their imaginations. Division is what Satan wants. It's the oldest trick in the book. It's pride that leads all the way to division. So that he could separate Adam and Eve from God, then he could separate Adam from Eve, and then he could go down to the generations where Cain kills the brother. So hearts just before the Lord, heads bowed. You may have been dealing with something or you know that you need to deal with something. And um, the, the idea that mom just doesn't like certain things makes a lot of sense. And we begin to interact with God and go, God, those things you don't like. And you may want to get rid of that. It may be just an anger that consumes you. It could be a desire for revenge. It could be as little as something like texting while you're driving and just that impulse or turning your sadness into medication. I, I don't know where it is. Where is God, the Holy Spirit? If he is speaking to you, I want you to know that Self-help books can be good, but one of the best things from the inside out is to allow God to change outward behavior through the inwardness of your heart connected to him. And that happens like these little kids we saw this morning who nestle their head up against their mother or father's chest, who say, I just want to be well-attached and dependent. I know that I need you to live. I know I need you to eat. I know I need you for safety and security. And even though you've grown and you're an adult now and you can provide for those things, there's still this simple sense underneath it all. And we all can see it when the stock market's crashing and some of you are going, what's going to happen? We know that every breath we breathe comes from God. So if you would like to, open your heart and just breathe in the love of Jesus that he provided on the cross in the Holy Spirit of God into the inner parts of your being. I just encourage you to do that now. If you need to go to someone and admit you're wrong, make sure you do that. Be quick to obey. If God's calling you to obey somewhere in some other area, be quick to do it. So we just open our hearts to you, God. And we sang that you would be one who would bless us and you're waiting to bless each and every person here. So I'm going to ask you to read with me these words that are a simple um, passage from Romans 12 in the message. If you'd read it with me. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life You're sleeping, eating, 
going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Bless you. Moms, thanks for hating those things you do. Keep doing what's necessary to bring your children with your husband or if you're single or you're a spiritual mom to fullness in God. Thank you. God bless.